everything is inspired by the teachings of His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, who is the founder and chair of the International Society for Krishna Consciousness. Om Aganati Marandasyang, Naminasatapya Chaksurim, Mirijam Yanatashmai, Sri Gurameenamaham, Sri Chaitanya Manavistam, Stavitam Yarabhutare, Sayam Rupa Karamayam Dharati Swaparantikam. We took a sports analogy and our title is still in the game. It's easy to have a good attitude and pursue our dreams as long as everything's going our way. That doesn't take a lot of faith. What about the difficult times? Relationship didn't work out. We get a bad health report. Friend stabs us in the back. Those things happen. It's easy to lose our passion because we're hurt. The disappointment, the business that didn't make it, the breakup. That was painful. Would you agree with me today that many people are sitting on the sidelines of life because they're injured, nursing their wounds, not moving forward because of what they've been through? Here's our message. You may have a reason for being sorry for yourself, but you do not have a right. Why? Krishna or God will never give you a test without also giving you the ability to pass. In fact, the more competent the individual is, the more difficult the test may very well be. So if you're facing a difficult test, buck up. It means Krishna sees you as well able. When you're hurt, when you're injured, it's tempted to excuse yourself. Well, I wanted to honor the Lord, but I guess this injury is going to keep me out of the game. He must want someone else to do it, or he wouldn't have caused this disability. No. When you move forward, in spite of injuries, pain, that's what gets the special attention of the Lord. In 2012, we were planning to do color festivals in three different states. It would have cost $1,000 each time to rent a truck to carry our gear to Sacramento, Reno, Santa Cruz, Los Angeles. So to save that money, I went up to Christensen's used truck sales in Linden, found a relatively recent year, six-cylinder, medium diesel truck, 24-foot box truck. It only had 167,000 miles on it, which isn't much for a diesel. I paid $17,000 for it. Now, Christensen's up there, said they give all their new trucks a good going over. They check them out. We loaded it up with our tents, our stage, our gear, our feather flags. We drove it down to Norwalk, California, had a great festival, and then we started coming back to Utah. The truck was running really good. Somewhere in California, I told the accompanying vehicles, you guys don't have to hang back with me. Just go ahead, I'll be fine. Well, wouldn't you know it, a few miles later, <laughs> the temperature gauge started getting hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter. I hit that big hill out of Baker, California, the one that goes up and up and up and then it goes down to Prim, Nevada and the whole engine blew up. There was smoke coming from underneath the hood. Later on they said that literally the engine had melted. What it was was a little tiny pinprick link in the cooling pipes which were plastic and it just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger and it finally blew. Eventually I had it towed to McCandless International Trucks in Las Vegas and they quoted me now remember, the original truck cost $17,000, so their quote to get a reconditioned engine was $26,000. So in the face of this 
setback, I wondered if I had it right. Maybe I'd misread Krishna. Maybe it was his way of telling me that he didn't want me to go to all the trouble of doing out-of-state festivals. Maybe it was over-endeavor. I had to make up a decision. Did I want to spend another $26,000 to replace the engine, or cut the losses, and walk away? I don't think anybody would have blamed me. It made sense. Churu, walk away, cut your losses, don't put good money after bad. But something told me inside that Krishna did want the festivals, and he did want me to organize them, but he was just strengthening me, toughening me up so that I could do those long-distance festivals more effectively. In other words, the blowing up of the engine of the truck was part of God's plan to take the festival program to a whole new level. And in fact, the next year, 2014, we did 20 festivals all over the United States and more than 100,000 people chanted Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. But what am I saying? Well, we all have challenges placed before us, perhaps even more so when we try to do the will of the Lord. Now, here's the key. While we're trying to do wonders in the world, Krishna God is trying to do wonders within us. While you're working on a project, Krishna is working on you, bringing your character up higher. Now, if you're going to see the beauty, feel the victory, and have the last laugh, you got to shake off the self-pity, shake off the discouragement, and get back into the game. Everyone has injuries, wounds, but you can't let a loss, a setback, a breakdown, a health issue, a divorce being an excuse to sit on the sidelines. Because sometimes in life, you have to play in pain. I heard about a linebacker in the NFL. He lost his brother just before a big game. He and his brother were very close. Coach told him to take time off, go home, grieve. He said, Coach, no, I want to play tomorrow in honor of my brother. I know that's what he would have wanted. And that player, Quan Alexander, a linebacker for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, had the greatest game of his entire career. Some might say, oh, true, that's just coincidence. But it could have been the grace of God. His attitude was, I'd rather be in the game in pain than on the sidelines as a spectator. So if you're going to be all that Krishna or God wants you to be, you can't let that hurt, that loss, that disappointment cause you to sit on the sidelines. Do what this person did. Push past the loss, bandage up, let go of what didn't work out and get back in the game. These are the kinds of people that Krishna or God rewards. Determined people, faithful people. Here are a few words on a TED talk from Angela Duckworth. She said, I started studying kids and adults in all kinds of super challenging settings. And in every study, my question was, who is successful here and why? My research team and I went to West Point Military Academy. We tried to predict which cadets would stay in military training and which would drop out. We went to the National Spelling Bee and tried to predict which children would advance furthest in competition. 
We studied rookie teachers working in really tough inner city neighborhoods, asking which teachers are still going to be here at the end of the year, and of those, which ones will be the most effective in improving learning outcomes for their students. We partnered with private companies asking which of their salespeople are going to keep their jobs and who's going to earn the most money. And in all those very different contexts, one characteristic emerged as a significant predictor of success. It wasn't social intelligence. It wasn't good looks. It wasn't physical health. It wasn't IQ. It was G-R-I-T. Grit. What is grit? Grit is passion and perseverance for long-term goals. Grit is having stamina. Grit is sticking with your future day in, day out, not just for the week, not just for the month, but for years working really hard to make that future a reality. Grit is living life like it's a marathon, not a sprint. People with grit get knocked down like everybody else, but they get back up. They don't let the heartbreak, the hurt, the pain cause them to get bitter, lose their passion. In other words, they get back in the game. No matter what life sends our way, our attitude should be, I'm hurting, but I'm still here. Friend did my wrong, I'm still here. Business is slow, but I'm still here. Didn't feel like coming to the temple today, but here I am. You gotta have a made up mind. I'm gonna stay in the game. I'm not gonna be faithful as long as I feel perfectly well, as long as everybody treats me right, as long as the weather is good. No, if you're out to please the Lord, to bring your character up higher, you have to put a smile on your face. I'm hurting, but I'm still showing up. Boss did me wrong, but I'm still getting to work on time, being my best. My child hasn't spoken to me in two years. It's breaking my heart, but I'm still doing my rounds. I've still got a smile. I'm still coming to the temple, still being good to people, still giving Krishna praise. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. Krishna, Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama. Rama, Rama, Hare Hare. In the Mahabharata, there's a story of Savitri. She was so beautiful, so talented, that her father named her after the goddess Savitri. The problem was, she intimidated all prospective suitors. None of the men wanted to marry her because she outclassed them in every way. Finally, her father gave her a chariot, an escort, a driver, said, you travel abroad and you find your husband. He was out for a few weeks, she came back. And when she returned to her palace, her father happened to have been visited by Narada Muni, an all-seeing sage, who in the presence of Narada Muni, Sabitri announced, I found a very nice young boy, he's good looking. He's going through a bit of a bad patch. His father went blind and then his enemies kicked his father out of his kingdom. So he and his father and mother are living in the forest. But otherwise, I've given my heart to him. His name is Satyavan. Immediately, Narada Muni, who sees everything in his eye of uh, meditation, he said, oh, Sabitri, you've made a wrong choice. Why is that? While he's good looking, he's handsome, he's honest, he has a great character, he has good breeding, he's well educated, but he's going to die untimely, exactly one year from now. You can imagine how this was a slap in Savitri's face, she was taken aback, she was shocked, but she's still in the game. <laughs> she comes back 
This is what she said. Death can only come once. A daughter can only be given away once. Similarly, whether Satyavan's life is long or short, I will only choose a husband once. She married. She lived in the forest ashram with her husband, her blind father and mother-in-law, none of whom knew about the prediction of Satyavan's impending doom. A few days before the expiration of the one year's time, she began to fast. And on the day of his predicted demise, she asked to accompany him to the forest. Note here, she's hurt, but she's still in the game. Later on in the afternoon, after chopping wood, before they turned around to go home, Satyavan complained of a headache and some dizziness. So he said, can I lie down for a few minutes and take a nap with my head on your lap? Sure. So he lay there with his head on her lap and a mist rolled in. And a very big, powerful being riding on a bull, carrying a noose with a crown on his head, appeared out of the mist. Savitri said, who are you? I am Yama, Lord of Death. Your husband's days on earth are over. I have come to take his soul away. Yama puts his noose around the subtle body of Satyavan, yanks it out of the gross body, and he begins going to the south, which is the direction in which death lives. And all of this, Savitri is hurt, but she's still in the game. She follows the law. And Yama's like, he doesn't know what to do. Nobody had ever, ever accompanied him before. Usually they run the other way. He says, Savitri, stop. Return and perform your husband's funeral ceremonies. You have no more obligations to him. Don't follow me any further. Savitri's hurt, but she's still in the game. She says to Yamaraj, I shall follow my husband wherever you carry him. The wise say he who takes seven steps with another person makes a friendship with him. Now that we are friends, please hear what I have to say. The wise say that acquiring spiritual merit, such as you have done, is the best of all things. Yama says, oh, Savitri, your words are so sweet. Ask for me, except for the life of your husband, one boon. Well, Savitri's still in the game. She says, my father-in-law lost his eyesight. May he regain his vision by your grace. And Yama says, granted, now you look tired from walking. Don't tire yourself any further. And please stop following me and return home. She's still in the game. She says, in my husband's company, how can I feel weary? And I'm getting your association as well. It is said that even one conversation with saintly persons like yourself is desirable. And at this point, Yamaraj says, who but you could speak such nice, pleasing words with appreciation? I'm doing a thankless job of carrying people away at the time of death and punishing them for their sinful deeds. And you show appreciation for me. So except for your husband's life, ask for me another boon. She said, when my father-in-law went blind, he was cheated out of his kingdom. Granted, he'd get his kingdom back. Yamaraj says, granted, now please stop following me, return home. She's still in the game and says, you, Lamaraj, control all beings. You have omniscience. You know the past histories of every living being in this universe, and that's why you administer the results of their karmas perfectly. Nobody can compare with you in terms of your influence, your knowledge, and your power. Yamaraj says, Savitri, as water is to a thirsty person, so your words are to me. Therefore, except for your husband's life, ask for me a third blessing.
So Bibi said, I was the only daughter of my father, and he was disappointed not to have had any sons. Granted, my father, Ashwapati, have ten sons. Granted, now that I've satisfied you, you've got to stop following me. You've walked far enough. Savitri's not done. She's still in the game. He says, walking behind my husband, I have not even realized how far I've walked. Giving justice to all, you are called not only Yamaraj, the Lord of Death, but Dharmaraj, the Lord of Justice. Everybody aspires after such virtue as yours. And once again, Yamaraj says to Savitri, I am so pleased by your words. They delight me, except for your husband's life, ask for another boon, then return to your hermitage. Savitri says, all right, I would like to give birth to ten sons who will be heroes. My children should be skilled, powerful, and able to perpetuate our family line. Granted, that's it. Stop following me. You've already come too far. Well, she's hurt, but she's still in the game. She says, the virtuous are always cheerful in the company of other virtuous people. I'm enjoying so much your association. It's a rare and unique opportunity to hang with you. Yamaraj says, the more you speak such significant words, full of sweet phrases, invested with virtue and pleasing to the mind, the more I feel respect for you. Therefore, ask from me one final great blessing. Well, she's not going to ask him another blessing. You know why? Here's what she says. The last blessing you granted me cannot be fulfilled unless you give me my husband back. I don't have to ask another blessing. I just want you to do the needful so that the last blessing of having ten sons could be fulfilled. So please restore such a bond. Without a husband, I'm like a dead person. You granted that I might have ten sons, and yet you took away my husband. Please bring him back. Only then will your words prove true. Yamara says, you got me, girl. <laughs> you got me. Never before in all of history had Yamaraj been trumped like that. And it was only because, even though she was hurt, even though she had every reason to give in to self-pity and sit on the sidelines, she stayed in the game. Am I right? Did you get that? <laughs> Yamaraj finally says, Oh, Savitri, I have freed your husband. He will never experience illness again. Look at the rewards of her just sticking it out. He will enjoy prosperity and along with you will live for 400 years. Moreover, he will have 10 children with you and they and all their sons and daughters and grandchildren will be celebrated for their virtue and their integrity. These children will look like gods. Yamaraj gave her blessing and then he departed back into the misc from whence he had come. It's important to note that we wouldn't be hearing this story today, in Spanish Fort Utah, thousands of years later, if she hadn't continued playing even though she was injured. Nobody would have blamed her for becoming disheartened, giving up, turning back, but her attitude was, I'm hurting, but I'm still in the game. Would you agree with me 
doesn't take anything to sit on the sideline, doesn't take anything to find an excuse, be sour, to give up, drop out. When you're hurt, it's easy to become ingrown, where all you think about is my hurt, my pain. Our advice today is don't take ownership of your pain. Pain is like a rope. When it comes, as in that illustration there, grab it to rise higher. It's a rope that you need to grasp in order to pull yourself up to the next level. Don't let it be a rope that you allow to tie yourself up to discourage you and get you stuck on the bench. I'd like to share a funny story about the baptism of King Angus by St. Patrick in the middle of the 5th century. Sometime during the rite, St. Patrick leaned on a sharp-pointed staff and inadvertently stabbed the king's foot. After the baptism was over, Patrick looked down at the blood and realized what he'd inadvertently done, begged the king's forgiveness, and asked the king, why did you suffer all that pain in silence? Sage wanted to know. The king replied, I thought it was part of the ritual. <laughs> well, it is part of the ritual. Krishna is testing our limits, growing us up, taking us higher and higher. Here's a key. One of the best ways that we can pass the pain test is to go out and help someone else who's hurting. Nothing is more certain than to get your mind off of your problems. Our question is, will you help others in your time of need? That'll be a seed you're sowing. Krishna can use that seed to change your situation down the line when you need it. Gordon B. Hinckley wrote this in his book, Standing for Something. The best antidote I know for worry is work. The best cure for weariness is the challenge of helping someone who is even more tired. One of the great ironies of life is this. He or she who serves almost always benefits more than he or she who is served. Prabhupada, our spiritual master, writes in the Srimad Bhagavad, A bona fide devotee of Lord Krishna is always pained to see the fallen condition of the whole world. Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur used to say, there is no scarcity of anything in the world. The only scarcity is Krishna God consciousness. And because of the lack of God consciousness in human society, it goes on to say people are suffering, terribly merged in an ocean of nescience and sense gratification. So a devotee cannot just be a passive onlooker. Devotees are grieved to see such a situation in this world. Prabhupada goes on to say that nothing is better to get your mind off your own problems than to share Krishna consciousness with others. Krishna himself declares in the last final chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, Nachatajma Manushishu, Kastyadme Priya Kritamaha, God himself says, no one is more dear to me than someone who shares the message of Krishna consciousness, who spreads the light of the soul. And no matter what your pain is, no matter what your injuries, they're all forgotten when you spread God consciousness or Krishna consciousness. I remember a few years ago, every year they invite me to give seven consecutive classes up at Diamond Fork Middle School in Spanish Fork. And I remember at the time I was having a lot of trouble getting the permit, the stage permit, for our upcoming festival in Norwalk. And I thought, boy, I wonder if there's any way I can get out of giving these seven classes, you know. First of all, seven back-to-back -back classes is a huge 
expenditure of energy. And I thought, I don't need this right now. I've got a crisis looming. But some or other, I got myself up there. I gave the seven classes. Krishna gave me energy. The students asked wonderful questions. They were among the best seven classes I'd ever given there. And I was especially glad I came when at the end of the seven classes, the teacher came up to me and said, Chiru, I'm so glad you keep coming year after year. The students look forward to it all semester. It's their favorite part of the course. So when I heard that, I thought that, in fact, I had gotten more out of the seven classes than perhaps the students themselves. Prabhupada, our spiritual master, is a great example. He could have stayed in India. He was living in the holiest place of Vrindavan as one of the most respected saints in that holy dom. He had everything. He, all his needs were taken care of, well respected. He was assured of liberation at the end of this life. He could have easily settled. Nobody would have thought anything about it. Vrindavan's full of retired, elderly, saintly people. In fact, that's what's expected of a 70-year-old man. But he arose and got back into the game. <laughs> he didn't just want salvation. He wanted the special favor of the Lord. Now imagine the aches, the pains, the infirmities and frustrations of a normal 70-year-old man. What to speak of someone like Prabhupada, who was taking a plane every few days, changing time zones, corresponding by hand on the fly with 4,000 disciples, writing books, lecturing in a different city, on a different continent every three or four days. He must have been hurting in a hundred ways that we cannot even imagine. But can I tell you, he was in the game. If you want a new life, there's something you have to do. You have to arise, not sit around in self-pity. You can't wait until all your wounds have healed and you feel a hundred percent. No, you have to arise and get back into the game. Arise from the tiredness, arise from the injury, from the lethargy, arise from the self-centeredness, arise from the rejection. And when Krishna or God sees you pushing past the pain for the benefit of others, he comes to full attention. He flings open the vaults of heaven and pours down favors, blessings, connections, men, money, lives are transformed, the world is changed. Prabhupada, an old man, came to America having gotten a free ticket, had seven dollars in his pocket, two heart attacks on the boat on the way over, and today, by the grace of God, there are 800 magnificent temples as well as farms and Krishna conscious communities all over the world. None of us would be here had he not played through the pain and the hurt. He didn't accept those burdens for his own salvation. He was already saved before he left India. He came to America, the most fallen, the most degraded, the most sinful place to donate his supreme good fortune to the most unfortunate. Like a billionaire distributing thousand dollars bills, he distributed love of God in the form of the holy names. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. 
Now here's the only question. Krishna, through Prabhupada, is offering supremely good fortune. Are we going to recognize it for what it is and accept it? Will we agree to become fortunate or do you want to continue stuck, continuing on in misfortune? If you agree, then get up off the sidelines, shake off what didn't work out, quit mourning over what you lost and how unfair it was, and arise to a new life. When Krishna sees you in the game, pain and all, bandages and all, when you show up with the attitude, I'm hurting, but I'm still in the game. I'm hurting, but Krishna is still on the throne. I'm hurting, but I'm expecting that Krishna is going to turn it around. That's when the Supreme Lord goes to work. That's when the Lord pays you back with interest for all the unfair things that have been done for you. Some of you might be in a rough time right now. Things haven't turned out like you'd hope. It's taking longer than you thought. The opposition is greater than you supposed. That illness is not going away. You're sitting on the sidelines. But Krishna is saying to you today, arise and get back in the game. If a friend betrayed you, don't go around lonely. It means the Lord wants you to make friends with some devotees. If you lost your job, don't sit around worrying. Just go out and find another. There's plenty out there. When one door closes, another one always opens. If you're facing a health issue, don't give up on life and start planning your funeral. Arise from that discouragement. When Krishna sees you doing your part, he will do his part. He will give you a new life. That means new opportunities are coming your way. It will be restoration, vindication, healing. Even though it's painful, can I tell you, it's not the end even though it's unfair, it's not over. There is still life after 70, life after the sickness, after the divorce, after the betrayal. A full life is out there in front of you. If you've been directionless, now you have a compass. If you've been sick, now you have the medicine of the holy names. If your perspective is in blurred, you have the lens of the Bhagavad Gita to see clearly. If you've been an orphan, now you have your heavenly father. If you were lonely, now you have devotee friends. If you've been spiritually bankrupt, you now have a huge balance and it's growing exponentially. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. If you'll just not make excuses, bear the temporary hurts and pains, stay in the game, You'll enjoy incredible favors, blessings, open doors, opportunities, rich relationships. You'll taste the fruits of wisdom and joy in this life. And in the next life, you'll go back to home, back to God. So if any of that sounds good to you, those of you who are awake to hear it, please raise your hands along with me. And Hare Krishna! Hare Krishna! Krishna, Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare.